Welcome to Homestead Story. We're Peter and Kristen. Join us as we share a new but old kind of family life. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Homestead Story. Hello, everyone. We're going to talk about plants today. Now, I have wanted to get healthy for a long time, and one of the conclusions that I've come to is that healthy fruits and vegetables is one of the cornerstones of a healthy diet, and I've been learning a lot about that over the last few years. One of the things I've learned is that all fruits and vegetables have something in them called phytochemicals or or phytonutrients. So phyto is the Greek word for plant, so that just means plant nutrient, and there's thousands of these things that are in fruits and vegetables, and it's, it, it helps a plant do all kinds of different jobs, from warding off disease to assimilating the right things from the soil. And these nutrients, a lot of them uh, are the basis for prescription drugs, and we're really just learning about what they are, and there's so many different ones out there. But it's, one, it's an example of something that we get from our fruits and vegetables that uh, isn't necessarily something that we've thought about a whole lot in the past. You know, we get our minerals and we get our vitamins. Uh, we also get these chemicals. There's enzymes. There's a whole lot of things that we're really just learning what is in these plants. And a lot of these are formed in the fruits and vegetables when they're close to being ripe. So if something is picked long before it's ripe, it's not going to have the same quantity of those, which is generally what's done to get your fruits and vegetables into the supermarket because they have to travel so far and store so long is they're picked before they're ripe. So it's really important that we get our nutrients and our vitamins and our phytochemicals. Yeah. After you told me this every day, I think to myself, I need to get my phytonutrients. So I'll go out in the garden and see what looks the most ripe and eat that. Yeah. I think it's so cool that... God put us on this earth and he filled it up with all these different things that we can eat that have this myriad of ways that are really good for us. And we don't even necessarily know what they're going, you know, what they're doing. We're just starting to learn about that from a scientific point of view. But Mm -hmm. there's all these compounds that help heal our cells and promote good growth and all kinds of good function within our body. Yes. And you said the phytonutrients help give the plant its taste and food that's really ripened on the vine the whole time or on the plant, it just tastes so much better. Yeah. Anybody who's ever grown their own vegetable garden or their own fruit understands that it tastes so much better than what you typically get out of the store. Oh, no question about it. So it tastes better. It smells better. It Mm -hmm. looks better. It's got a lot more color to it and it's healthier for you. And that's another really neat thing. How do you know if something's healthy for you? Well, it just so happens that if it's very colorful and smells really good, uh, then it's healthy for you. <laughs> yes. So if, if it's alive and growing and it's colorful and smells good. Right, good right, you. right. <laughs> so today we're going to yeah talk about plants, I guess. Did you say that already? Yeah, we're going to talk about <laughs> plants. We're going to talk a lot about how we grow plants. So this is one that might be a little more exciting in the spring, but mm-hmm. we're going to do it now while it's fresh in our mind. We've just gone through another growing season here and we've yes. got, we've learned a lot and we want to talk about that. Yeah. This winter when you start to get stir crazy and you want to start planning out your garden and thinking of the things you want to plant, you, maybe some of these plants can be in your in your plan. It's happened to us the last couple of years. We just so badly want to get started in the spring. We some we get started a little too early, I think, <laughs> and then we've got all these seedlings in our house that so we got to keep alive <laughs> until they're ready to plant. But. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about which plants that we grew from seeds did great, which ones we would recommend if you want to get started and you don't know what you're doing. So this will be more of a how-to podcast. So we'll start at the beginning. You order your little seed packets online. Right. We went to Baker Creek. They've got a lot of really, really good stuff there. Heirloom, non-GMO, good seeds. Right. So what we do is we get a, we got a nice big table. and Well, like four nice big tables. Yeah, we got a lot of ta- big tables, like fold-up tables. Right. <laughs> uh, these things are good investments that you'll we'll use you know, every year. And... We find we kind of do some rearranging of our house. We moved our bed away from the window, and we found all the best windows where the sunlight comes in. Right. So best window means is southern facing as possible that doesn't have a tree or something in front of it. So right, you want a if lot you've of got sun. a window that's going to get a lot of sun, and ours isn't exactly southern facing, it's kind of southwesterly. Well, how would a normal person know what a southern facing window is? Like, 
Yeah. You, I guess you have compasses on well, your phone. Well, I hate phone. to say this, but yeah, use the compass on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> or look at a map. Well, southern facing, that's just a lot of sunlight that will come in. But ours are not southern facing, and it still works. Right. And if you want to grow things, you should learn what southern facing is on your property. That's a very important knowledge to have. Sunlight is going to be your best ally for growing things. Right. So in the winter season, because we're in North America... Uh, the way that the earth tilts means that the sun is in the southern portion of the sky pretty much all day, even in the winter. Right. So if you don't have a window or you don't have a, a table that you can use by a window, you can also do grow lights. And we have used grow lights where you just have a light. You get a light at, I don't know, they sell them everywhere online. You get a light and it kind of gives artificial sun and that will work. But we just found that our plants did the best by a window. Right. And so if you want to use grow lights, you just need a lot of light. You need, you know, they make setups that are really good, but they end up using a ton of electricity Mm -hmm. and you need a lot of light. And that's okay if that's your only option. Yeah. But what we found was that the sun does a better job. Yeah. And the grow lights can be a pain. Like we had them all over our bedroom and we're tripping over them all the time and cords everywhere. So what we did, Pete actually, I don't know, did you, the, did you read this or see this somewhere? The whole back I forget how I learned it. It's a really good trick. I didn't come up with it on my own. I learned it from somebody, but it's a really good trick. So what Pete, what we did, so we put our table by the window and that worked well, but Pete took cardboard boxes and he put a back along the table. So you have the window on one side, you have the seeds on a table. And then along the back of the table, Pete took cardboard and kind of taped cardboard up. And then he put foil, tin foil along the, over top of it. So... What does that do? It kind of reflects the sunlight. It just reflects sunlight. the light. So you end up getting all the light reflected at both sides of the plant, and it, it increases the sunlight that the plant gets quite a bit. Right. So we this year we did some with grow lights. Because we did, I mean, picture our house. It was seeds everywhere. It was kind of a, I was so excited to get those things out because we had seeds around every window, and then we had seeds with grow lights, and the ones that did best were the ones by the window with the tinfoil. That was, that they was just the did best. Great. Yeah, we're not even going to use grow lights next year. Yeah, they just, they just did great. So, so you get little seedling containers, and what we do is we get these seedling containers that have um, like a tray that holds water and whatnot that the, the seeds, the seed trays go in. Yeah, just a normal seed tray. Is that making sense? Right. So you put your dirt in and then you put maybe one or one to three little seeds in the yeah. seed tray. It's okay to put more than one. The seeds are cheap. And then right. if multiple germinate, you can always pinch off the ones right. that aren't as good looking. So we'll use these terms like germinating. That's when the seed actually starts to grow. And that doesn't always happen. So some seeds have higher germination rates than others. And you can just, you know, you might picture gardening, you might picture just kind of going outside and scattering seeds. And that would be ideal. That would be great if I could just put seeds in the ground. But we found that a lot of the times that just doesn't work. Your seeds might get eaten by birds, they might get washed away, they might get crushed by something. So it's if you really want to guarantee that your plants are going to do well, if you really want to get your garden going, it's good to get your seed things started inside and then put them outside after the frost. Well, it depends on what you're growing, bit. though, and we'll talk right. about that, too. Some things are really good at direct seeding, and yeah. that is a whole lot easier. So. Yes. Yeah, I did a, this year I did a lot of experimenting, so I, did, I wanted to know what was going to work just directly putting it into the ground because once you know that, that's a great thing to know because it's an easy way to grow things. But a lot of my herbs did a lot better being started inside. That's true. For sure. So again, we started about, I don't know, what was it, like 250 seedlings in here or more? Maybe I think it was more than that. 300? Yeah. yeah, I don't remember. So we did a, a lot in here. So we started probably around March or something. We wanted them to be big and strong. You, don't pl- you plant them after the danger of frost has passed. And the hardest part we found for us is you do have to do something to your plants that are raised inside called hardening them off. This is really important. Right. And it's a pain when you have 300 seedlings. It's a pain. Right. Back to phytochemicals. So the plants start producing uh, things that help them deal with the sunlight mm-hmm. and the outdoor conditions. And if they've been in the inside the whole time, they're not going to have that and they need to, to, to grow into that. Well, if you think about your skin, so... Peter always gets this, we don't know why we forget, but he always gets this huge initial sunburn every year because you're inside most of the year and then you go outside and 
you know, in a t-shirt and you're working all day, Pete gets a horrible, horrible sunburn. Yeah, not smart. <laughs> Every year. I'm like, why do we not remember that you need sunscreen? When, But over the summer, as your skin adjusts to the, at least for us, as our skin starts to adjust to the sun, we don't get as burnt as easily. It's kind of the same thing for a plant. If you just put that plant right outside, it's been inside, it's just going to get like destroyed by the sun and wither up and die. Yeah. I always keep my eye out for, for good deals when I'm walking through stores for plants. And I, I saw a fig tree. It was a variety I wanted and it was $3. It was little fig trees. So I was like, oh, sweet. I, I've been looking for this one. And it was on the inside of the store. And I didn't think about it for whatever reason. I just planted it outdoors. And the sun, I mean, it was dead the next day. The mm-hmm. sun just fried it. Right. And it wasn't used to that. And fortunately, it grew back from the base again. But uh, yeah, all these plants need to, to be acclimated to that. And that's hard. So when you have tons of seed trays, <sighs> then we set up tables outside and we'd have to carry them out for a few hours mm-hmm. and then put them away. And that, that right. takes some work. Right. Because they're not used to the sun. They're not used to the cold. Because in, still in May here, at least, the evenings get cold. So what you do is you carry them all outside and you put them out there for like an hour so they get kind of they can start to get used to the sun then you bring them back in then the next day you might do about 2 hours and i think the process for me took about 2 weeks yeah i don't think it needs to be that long but yeah. you know maybe to be safe yeah that's why we're doing this podcast now it's kind of fresh in our minds so you you kind of bring them out little by little um, it's great if you have a, a cloudy day because then they have the protection from the clouds you can leave them out a little bit longer but it's just really important you don't just have your seedlings inside and then have a big planting day and take them out. Right. They so this is die. a nice, st- another step you get to skip if you're doing a direct seed mm-hmm. because that seedling is going to grow that way right from the start. They're going to have that protection, protection coat for sure. Yeah, definitely. So that's just something really important to know. And that was the hardest part, I think. Yeah. Because they're heavy and I'm carrying those things out and yeah. that was a pain. Yeah. You're like <laughs> Bringing them back in. Yourself. Oh gosh, I was spilling muddy water everywhere. Yeah, it was, yeah. that was tough. So... Okay, but after they're hardened off, so here, it might be different wherever you are. You just want to wait till that last freeze is over. Then you start planting them outside, digging a little hole and and putting them in the ground. And they are very fragile at this point. They are <laughs> That's very, very fragile. <laughs> stressful time. Right, when you have little toddlers you uh-huh. know, running around and dogs and all kinds of stuff, and we inevitably lose some of them to just getting stumped on. Yes, right. So... I'm going to talk, we're going to talk a little bit about the plants that just had, that got big quickly, that just did really well, that had high germination rates. Yeah. The first year or two that you do this, it's nice to just be successful. So don't start with the really hard stuff. (laughs) Start with the stuff that, you know, you, you, it just really wants to grow and, and then you can have success. Yes. And again, I did some experiment. I had so many seeds that I did a lot inside and a lot outside to kind of see which would do best. And uh, so I'll just go through the herbs that that really did well. The first one was marshmallow, which is a really cool plant. It's where actually marshmallows came from before they were made out of whatever marshmallows are made out of. Now, marshmallow, marshmallow plant, you dig up the root, and then you fry it up with uh, sugar, I guess, and it became like a marshmallow. I haven't tried it yet, but I just thought that was so cool. So I did some marshmallow plants, and they germinated. It was like in a couple of days and they just grew and they are huge and I planted them. They are beautiful flowers. I haven't even really used them yet. I try not, I don't use the plants a ton the first year because I really want them to get established and things like that. So um, marshmallow was just awesome. It was huge. It was a really cool plant that people would just comment on and definitely that one is definitely a go. So Can't. these, the ones that Kristen's talking about now are also, for the most part, perennials. Yes. They come back every year. Right. And you get these, these herbaceous perennials started and there's so little for a long time, mm-hmm. but then they really get going and then it's just going to be there every single year. Yes. And I will say there was one, it is a little depressing when you're doing all these seedlings and then you go to the garden store and you see their seedlings and their seedlings are so big and it's like, oh, why didn't I just buy the big plant, but yeah. gardening is about being patient and I love And we having, don't have professional greenhouses to get ours started in. Yeah, so right. They're never gonna look as good. Right. So I have a half acre in the back of the house that's really been my project where I want it to be just this place of just beautiful smells, beautiful colors. So I pick a lot of herbs that are beautiful, that have strong smells. And it's not just for me, it's for all the hummingbirds and the butterflies and the bees and the birds. And I like to use herbs that we can cook with and use medicinally and 
and look at that are beautiful. And so that's, I have a whole huge, huge herb flower garden. So um, the other herb that did really, really well that germinated easily was chamomile. And it smells so awesome. Yeah, it so, smells so good. Uh, that one is definitely a winner. I just love to go and touch it and get the oil on my hand. It just has a great smell. And chamomile tea is great. Basil, oh my goodness. If you want to feel good about yourself, basil was just great. Yeah, there's there's no reason, I think, to buy that as a plant. Unless yeah. you just want one or two. Because it grew so well from seed. Yeah, so you go to the garden store and the basil plants are really big and beautiful and they are usually around i don't know three to four dollars i guess yeah, it's basil plant so we can buy we bought a packet of seeds of basil plant and i did 33 plants and they got just as big as the plants in the store how i mean if i were to buy 33 plants from the store what would that end up costing me at four dollars a piece that's over 120 dollars. yes so definitely worth <laughs> it and it was so they germinated they were ones that germinated right away and got big right away they were kind of like ah, i shouldn't have done these so early they're getting so big yeah uh, it was funny because to get out of control we had a bunch of seeds in the baby in our, well, our, our toddler's room and every time you walked in there it just smelled like basil it smelled so yeah. good because they kind of would there were so many of them. but So one of the tricks to that, if I remember correctly, is it's going to grow up and it's going to have one or two shoots that come out. And as soon as it starts to get big, you pick the top off of it mm-hmm. and that causes it to start to branch out. So right. instead of just getting a really long strand uh, right. or, or shoot, you end up with you know something that's starting to branch out, which I think you really want with basil. Right. And basil was my most successful project because I we love the taste of basil and we will be able to eat it all winter. So that was my number one. That was great. Dill did really well and that did well direct. So, so I went to the vegetable garden and I moved the mulch to the bare dirt and I put the dill seeds in and that just did, it did wonderfully. And yeah. And then what's nice about dill is it's an annual, but it seeds itself. So Mm -hmm. if you just let it go to seed, all those seeds are going to fall to the ground and it kind of acts like a perennial because it's going to grow back. Yes. Um, A friend of mine gave me she her um, cilantro was taking over, so she dug out some cilantro and gave it to me. And before I could even use it, it bolted and went to seed. And once it goes to seed, you can't really use it anymore. So I thought, oh, that was a waste. I didn't get to use any cilantro. But now, right right now, all those seeds, I have cilantro plants everywhere. And I love cilantro. So that was a surprise. I didn't realize that was going to happen. Right. So cilantro and dill, those are two that will self-seed. Yes. So echinacea, echinacea is what started my love affair with herbs. I, when we moved to our farm, the previous owner had planted echinacea everywhere. And that's like, if you don't know what that is, it's like a purple cone flower. It kind of looks like a black eyed Susan, except it's pink and it's really good for you. And I just want it everywhere. Cause I just think it's such a cool and the birds love it. And, it's really good for you. And teas. Is so really in tea, tea, that's mm-hmm. how we do it. Is right. We put it in tea. Yeah. So um, I had a friend who said my echinacea didn't germinate, so her echinacea didn't never did anything. And then somewhere along the line, because I'm always reading about herbs, I don't even know where I find some of the things that I find, but I read somewhere that echinacea does well if it's stratified, the seeds are stratified. So that's another gardening term. And what that means is the seeds, a lot of seeds like to go through a period of cold. So if you think about it, um, a plant will go to seed, the seeds fall to the ground, and then winter comes, and they right. like to be cold. So it's a safety mechanism for the plant mm-hmm. because the seeds are going to fall in the fall, and what's to keep them from just germinating right away and then dying in the winter? Mm-hmm. Well, they need stratification, so they have to go through winter before the seed becomes viable. Right. It's amazing how God made nature to work. It really is. So what I did, so I read, okay, echinacea likes to be stratified. They like to go through cold. So I took the seed packet and for a couple of weeks, I put it in the fridge where it's nice and cold. So it got to have its winter. And I had all of my echinacea germinated. It was so big, beautiful flowers. I just love echinacea. Right. So there's a few of these that do need to be stratified generally. Echinacea is one of them. Comfrey is another. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them don't need that. Right. So you can that just... was the only one I stratified. Right. So uh, that was the only one I put in the fridge. But a beautiful plant and... Yeah, it did well. And again, I, I did a lot of these, a lot of these ones that I'm saying worked really well. I put them in the ground and nothing happened. So I think they do really well having that time of protection in the house. I don't know if it was the birds that got them. I think we had big rainstorms that just washed them all away a couple times. Right. It was the worst feeling to go and put all these, I put like thousands of seeds out and then we had like a week of just rain. And so they just all 
washed away. So right. Well, and we I direct seeded a bunch of things, and I w- you'd get this little seedling coming up, and it's it's really exciting. You go out the next day, and something ate it to the right. ground, and it's right. you know, a lot of things like seedlings. Gardening it takes a lot of work and a lot of failure and a lot of trial and error. And so that's why we do suggest, even though it is more work and it would be better to just put it in the ground, it is good to get it started inside. Um, catnip was also, it's a really, really cool plant. And I'm going to talk a lot more about these, about drying them and using them in a later podcast. But right now we're just talking about what worked well and catnip germinated. It just did great. It was, it got huge. It is a huge plant. Uh, the cats, the cats love like it. it. <laughs> yes. It's some kind of drug to them. Yeah. So the cats get in it and then they start acting funny. Right, right. Um, but it, yeah, that's a great one. So um, catnip, bee balm did really, really well. And that I wanted that because it attracts hummingbirds. It almost The flower kind of has a little straw to it and, the, and it's an herb. So I like things that just have a lot of purposes. Like I said, I like things that are beautiful, that smell, that feed the wildlife. Well, the bee so. balm took over a whole section of the garden. Mm-hmm. So that's nice too. So bee balm was such a vigorous plant that it kind of shaded out all the other weeds. And oh yeah, exactly. Now we have this nice section of bee yes. balm. Yes. And my bee balm actually did not, it was my only, it did not flower. I think it'll flower next year. Sometimes that happens. They just, they're so busy getting themselves going that they don't flower yet, but it'll probably fly. It's a perennial. So I think it'll flower next year. Um, Korean and anise hyssop are, I think, my all-time favorites. Yeah. They are just beautiful. They taste so good. So it's this um, herb that tastes like licorice and smells like licorice. And it's very sweet. Very sweet. But it just is so beautiful. It has these, it looks, it kind of, I don't know, how would you describe it? It just is this beautiful purple spiking flowers. It looks like the best thing ever if you're a bumblebee. And the bumblebees love it. And don't be afraid of bumblebees. Bumblebees are great pollinators. We want... The bumblebees. Yeah, they love it. And then they just, they don't want to leave it and they fall asleep on it. So you go out in the evening and there's these bumblebees <laughs> all over it that are just kind of asleep. Yeah, but they've never bothered me. I go out and I pick it and I've never been like... Yeah, the only reason a bumblebee, bumblebee is going to sting you is if you step right on yes, it. Yes, if it's in your boot and you put your boot on and you have a bumblebee <laughs> in there. That was what I did and it was terrible. Yeah. But that was the only time I got stung by a bumblebee. But we go out there and I pick things and I... I I walk amongst the bumblebees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just want to do their thing. And the hummingbirds really like the anise hyssop, the, the gold finches. And I like things that flower for a long period of time. So some things are glorious and, and gorgeous and very showy, and they might only flower for a couple weeks. Anise hyssop, it might not be that magnificently showy, but it brings color to the garden really all summer from July to frost. So right. I love it. And... And it just germinated really quickly, and it's just getting big and beautiful, and I have it everywhere. And we make tea out of that all the time. Yes, yes. Um, so Korean and Nice did really well. Lemon balm. Lemon balm has a really low germination rate. So I did like 25 lem- lemon balm plants, and I think only maybe like six germinated, but it was worth it to have those six. Yeah, that's a great plant. That's one of those plants that you're just mesmerized when you smell it. You're like, how does a plant smell exactly like a lemon? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And that's great for tea. I do. That's the basis for like all my tea that I do. Just has a great taste. And then oregano, that was also wonderful. I have a whole row. I did probably like 60 oregano plants or something. I have a whole huge hedgerow of oregano because... Oregano is so good for you. Um, I made an oregano-infused oil. I put it in tea. It's a great culinary herb. Yes. So we can put it in all kinds of recipes. Yeah, I dry it out, and then we put it in all... We make meatballs a lot because meatballs are great when you have four young children who can't really cut their meat yet. Yeah, and freezers <laughs> full of ground beef. So we got freezers full of ground beef, so uh, we have tons of oregano that we can make these great meatballs with. Yep. So the oregano is just wonderful, and that... Did great in the little So that's another one that is a perennial and it does really well coming back every year. It'll start to take over as well. It just, it wants to spread, Mm -hmm. uh, which is great. So when you get a plant that's really vigorous like that, it's good because it it outcompetes a lot of the weeds. Right. But you also got to be careful with it because it's going to keep trying to expand its its territory. So you you put it in an area that it can be somewhat contained in. Right, right. the only one that I had, so catmint did great too. That's another beautiful one that gives you color all summer, really. A catmint is one of my favorites just because it just, I love seeing the purple flowers everywhere and has a great smell. And um, the only one that I had a hard time with was valerian. Valerian is, 
I can't, we're not allowed to talk about medicinal purposes of herbs, <laughs> but valerian right. has a lot of really great talk medicinal doctor and <laughs> purposes. Um, so right. well, they sell it as a tea in the store and it helps calm you down as you're going to sleep. And it really is, you know, apparently yes. So I tried a lot of valerian and that was, it didn't really germinate very well. It, it kind of, we kept saying it had a death wish. I had to go out there and water it like a ton. And I read later, Valerian needs a lot of water, but I felt like no matter how much I watered it, it still was withering. So it's looking good now, but right. I don't really, we, we don't want a lot of plants that we have to really baby on the property. So yeah, we have an area here, it's a certain climate and we want plants that are going to grow well in that climate, not something that we have to work so hard to keep alive. Right. So the Valerian was the only hard one, but you know, it's alive. So we'll see how it does. So those herbs are just a mint too. I didn't do mint from seed. We bought some mint plants, but the coca mint just took over. That's one area that one herb that likes shade. Most of the ones that I It is so good too. Plant coca like, mint. I think it tastes better than spearmint or sweet mint. It's just right. a really cool taste. Yeah, and it's prolific. So it's fun when you have things that you can just keep using all summer long. Just keep going out and cutting it and using it for tea or whatever. Right, and the mints are another one that's going to try and take over wherever it is. We had a, a, a garden that's maybe four by six feet, and it's enclosed. So we just decided that was going to be the coca mint garden and take over that entire area. Yes. But it's going to try and take over your garden if you let it. Yeah, but I like that it's a shade-loving plant because a lot of things really need a lot of sun, so it's nice to have some things that do well in the shade. Absolutely. So, yeah, so yeah that so that was it's been great to see these to have success to have to look outside and see all these little seedlings that we put a lot of work into when they were babies and now they're going to be there year after year and they're they're beautiful and looking healthy and really fun to use. Oh yeah. Add a lot of smell to the farm and beauty to the farm and a lot of really unique type plants they are too. Mm-hmm. Right. So those were my that was my really big project. Um and Pete's going to talk a little bit about the things that we did, the produce that we did that worked really well this right. year. So one of my missions is that I don't have to buy chicken grain very much in the, in the future, that I'd be able to grow most of the chicken food here. And so one of the ways I started trying to do that uh, last year was by growing squash. So I've tried 20 different kinds of squash here on the property to try and figure out which one's going to grow really, really well. And I have found the green striped kushal, mm-hmm. which is this incredible plant. So I direct seed the squash and I've learned after a couple years that there's just no point in doing that too early in the spring. The squash really wants the ground to be warmed up and it wants nice hot days before it starts growing. So I would plant it in the early spring and the seeds would germinate and these squash has this very big seedling compared to, compared to most other things. It's very satisfying to grow because this plant starts out pretty big, but it would germinate and then it would kind of just sit there and not really grow and then something would come along and eat it. So the hard part about squash is that lots of stuff wants to eat it when it's, especially when it's young. But there's uh, squash bugs and there's boring insects uh, that bore into the vine and kill it. And there's powdery mildew. There's a lot of things that'll try and kill off the squash. So it's important to me to find one that is just very, very vigorous. So mm-hmm. the green striped kushal outcompetes every other kind that I've tried here. Oh my gosh! Wait, we have to talk about the squash bugs. Yeah. So we go out like every day and just walk our gardens and look at everything. And it's just fun to see the changes. And this year, this didn't happen last year, but this year we started to notice these little like egg things all over the leaves of our squash. Ne- neatly ordered egg Yes, rows. and we they're, were like... They're, they're in a row and we're like, wow, these are interesting. We should have Googled it, but we just didn't. It, you know, there's just so much going on. Sometimes we don't even have time to do that. But we were like, so what is this? is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? I mean, we don't want to get rid of it if it's a bad thing, right? So I think we just kind of left these eggs. Yeah, I wanted to see what would happen. Yeah, we kind of wanted to see what it, what Most it was. Most bugs are good. Yeah, they're, yeah, we don't want to kill off good bugs. So. Yeah, so that was a mistake. Yes. And out hatched the squash bugs. Oh, they are like little alien creatures. They, yeah. are so, they are so strange looking. So we had this outbreak of these little bugs and... 
they're really slow, so they're actually yeah, really Yeah, they're not easy real smart, and they're slow. So once they did hatch and we saw that they were hurting the plants, I could go out there and kind of just squash them with my fingers. Yes. Uh, so we would find a leaf that didn't look so good, and we'd pick the leaf. And then at one point, I was, like, carrying this leaf that didn't look well, and I turned it over, and it was covered in these bugs. And I just screamed, and I threw it down on the ground. <laughs> and I was like, get it! And we carried them out to the chickens and gave – it was just chicken feed. And they were slow, so it, it, it worked. But next year – and, and our plants actually survived it, so right. I don't know. Do they eat squash, or do they eat leaves of squash? They don't eat the squash plant. They eat the, the plant. That you just said they don't eat the squash plant. I'm sorry. Plant. They, don't, they, they don't eat the fruit. They, oh, eat, okay. they eat the, the leaves okay. and the vine. But that would probably still hurt the plant. Oh, it definitely hurts the plant. It'll kill so the plant. So next yeah. year, what I'm going to do is probably go out with tape or something and have the boys. I'll give them like... I think well, I'm just going to keep a lookout for the eggs. Yeah, and, exactly. And we'll, we'll tear that part no, off No, I meant of like take, or take tape out maybe. I wonder if that could get the eggs off a piece of tape. I don't no, know. Just pick the leaf. Just pick the yeah. leaf. It's so prolific <laughs> that it's fine. But that could be a job that the boys get paid like yeah. a nickel, a... So we started harvesting. Yeah, no, we started harvesting squash probably in August last year, and through September, through October, basically till the till the frost came. I used my last kushal in April, and it was very good still. Yes. Yeah. So and that was just storing it on a shelf in the basement. Mm-hmm. So they're really great for winter storage. And what I would do is I would, they're they're big. They're like up to thirty pounds, twenty to thirty pound squashes. So I would take it out. And I would cut it in half and I would just put it in the chicken coop in the winter and it would give the chickens some nice live food to eat in the middle of the winter mm-hmm. and a large quantity of live food to eat in the winter. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that the chickens didn't really like the pumpkins, like they would eat them eventually, but they loved the kushal. So mm-hmm. uh, the chickens love it. It's a really good chicken feed. And it turns out it tastes better than spaghetti squash. It's mm-hmm. just a really mild taste. So we would eat it and it spaghettifies. So... You cut it in Spaghettifies. half. Is that yeah. a word? Yeah, I just made it up. Okay. So it's a word now. <laughs> but if you've ever used a spaghetti squash, it's really great because you, you bake it and then use a fork and you pull it apart and it turns into these strands of spaghetti. Yes, yeah, so we eat it like spaghetti. That's why spaghetti. they call it spaghetti squash. And so the kushal does the same thing. Right. And it's really cool because like we're talking about these phytonutrients. It's hard to get real produce in the winter because things aren't growing. You don't have the farmer's markets. You don't, I mean, you can go to the grocery store, but again, we don't know how, how much phytonutrients are in the, the, um, fruits and vegetables in the grocery store in the winter. So it's nice to have a real produce, a real right thing that we knew grew till Well, I'm end. convinced that healthy food comes from healthy soil and we know our soil is healthy because right. we're here and we're the ones growing it. So, but to have a fresh vegetable in the winter, that's really cool. It is really it's cool. It's awesome that yeah, there's there's vegetables at store and fruits right. and vegetables at store all winter long, so you're still eating them. And yeah. so it's really hard to cook because it's huge. So Yeah, but then we have chickens, so we can use a portion of it and then give the rest of the chickens. No, I mean it's hard to cook, like to fit it in the oven. It's yeah. so huge. <laughs> what did true. we do last year? Did we cut it? I can't. And it's, it's so hard. You kind of had to cut it into pieces. And well, I couldn't it. cut it in half. We had, you had, I had to like cook it first and get it soft, right? Yeah. And then cut it in half. Yeah. And then... No, no. The, the kushal has... It, it stores really well, but the skin isn't actually that thick. You can put a knife through it. Okay. Yeah. You had a hard time with uh, a couple of the other kinds, like the Japanese pie. Oh, okay. So some of the squashes okay. get a really hard shell. And that is you know one of the things that makes them good keepers. But yes. uh, the kushal is pretty soft and you can cut through it. And it tastes really good. We made a ton of food out of it. And like I say, I've tried 20 different kinds, and it just outcompetes everything. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I think the only other squashes that I want to grow is a butternut. So I grow a Waltham butternut. That's the, the type. And that's also a really good plant. And it just makes incredible soup. So butternut that's the reason. in the winter. Yeah, yeah we grow that. And then we like to so grow great. pumpkins just because they're fun. Yeah, I like to have, like, have the decorations everywhere. Right. It's funny, now that we live, you know, we used to kind of, I would go and buy these fake fall decorations, like fake pumpkins and fake leaves. And then we moved out here and we put some of the fake stuff next to our real stuff. And we were like, that is not going to work. <laughs> so we just stopped using the fake stuff and has have real pumpkins everywhere. And right. it's just so pretty. Right. So they do take up a ton of space. We don't even try and plant them in the kitchen garden because they would just take over the whole thing. Uh, so I plant them in my forest garden. I just plant the, the squashes out there and they grow out amongst the trees. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to actually fill it in a little bit while the trees are all still pretty small mm-hmm. and they get plenty of sunlight and everything. Yeah, you're going to need a lot of space because it's going to sprawl. But right. but they 
are t- they take over, they're hardy, and it's just that's been the one of our favorite things to grow is squash. Right. Well, and it's really satisfying to be getting hundreds of pounds of produce. Yeah. Especially when we, you know, one of my goals is to be able to feed the chickens with it is you just get this massive amount of produce. It's yeah. really fun. So we did weigh our biggest one this year that we've harvested so far and it was 30 pounds. So cool. So that's that's the record we got to beat next year. Yeah. My favorite way to eat it is to cook it up like spaghetti and put spaghetti sauce on it and it just tastes like you're eating spaghetti, but you're eating a Whatever. Yeah, produce. if you put a, a sauce on it that has a lot of taste and, and you wouldn't really be tasting the spaghetti anyway, it's yeah, it's nice. So that's a really great thing. So to have. another one along the same uh, lines is watermelon, and our kids love watermelon, mm-hmm. and we love fruit, but m- most of our fruit trees are too small to really produce anything yet. So we've done a lot of watermelon, and that's a lot of fun too. It's very similar to the squash, and it's another one that you can just direct sow. Right. And you can let the, the initial rush in the spring go by, and then around June or July even, go ahead and plant those, and mm-hmm. they'll grow up really fast. Right. Yeah, it's great. Really easy, and a lot, you get a lot out of it. So one of the things that permaculture people talk about a lot is something called companion planting. So instead of just having all the same thing planted in one area, you just say, well, plant many things together. I mean, if you look at the woods or any wild area, you're going to see a lot of different plants, a polyculture of plants growing in the same space. And one of the things that allows for that is not every plant uses the same part of the ground. So some plants put down roots that go very deep. Other ones have roots that go very shallow and they don't even compete with each other. Mm. And in some ways they'll grow better if you have the right companion plants together because they, they help uh, they have a symbiotic relationship with each other and they, they, they provide purposes for each other. So we want to do more companion planting and that's kind of what a, an entire forest garden is. It's a lot of different things planted together. Uh, but one of the things that we tried this year was planting asparagus and strawberries together. Hold on. So Pete really takes the lead in the forest garden. I take the lead in the backyard um, herb garden, but this was where I was able to shine Yes, you've shown. (laughs) Peter pulled out his back. I did. What did you even do to pull out your back? I I don't know. I do that sometimes. Yes. I don't pay attention to my back and then it hurts me. So he allowed me to plant all the asparagus crowns and strawberry plants. Right. And now every time we walk past it, Kristen claims it as her own. My work. The sad thing is he dug the whole trench and he told me exactly what to do. I just did it. But now whenever we walk in there, I'm like, look at my asparagus and strawberry patch right. that I yeah. planted. It's yours. <laughs> but anyway. Hard work. I just stuck it in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it looks so good. I want to, I like want to have really the good. credit. Yeah. <laughs> and we love asparagus. Uh-huh. And we tried it, so I planted it last year, I guess. And I got crowns. I didn't do it from seed. I tried some from seed. Well, explain what a crown is. I don't I wouldn't right. know what that is. So asparagus takes a long time to get going. And so I planted some from seed, and I'm not going to do that anymore just because it takes an entire year of using these tiny little asparagus you know, plant. It almost looks like grass. Mm-hmm. Uh, asparagus is a type of fern uh, but it's this tiny little thing, and then and then by the next year, it finally gets some size to it. So you can get crowns, which is uh, basically a root ball, and it's this little ball and, and these roots that come out, and and you gain a year or two by getting those. Mm-hmm. So I got those from uh, Burnt Ridge Nursery, and I got the strawberries there too, and those were terrific. I, yes. I highly recommend getting it from them. They did such a good job, mm-hmm. these, these big, healthy plants I got strawberries from them and strawberries from somewhere else and and the yeah. strawberries that I got from Burnt Ridge were just took off. It was kind of like yeah just putting these little roots so Pete dug the trench before he pulled out his back and then I just stuck the roots in there together basically. Right. That right. was what that's a crown. So the asparagus comes up it's like one of the first things to come up in the spring which is great because you're just dying to get some really good vegetables in the spring and it's perennial most vegetables aren't so mm-hmm. it's a perennial vegetable that comes up early in the spring. And these little shoots come up, and that's what you recognize as asparagus in the store, and you pick them off. And we did that this year, and it's just, it was so good. Like, this is right up there with, um, you know, a a real tomato versus store-bought tomato, Mm. and everybody says that the garden tomatoes taste so much better because they do. Asparagus that we picked out of our garden, there's no point to even cooking it. Yeah, we didn't cook it. Just ate it raw. It was so soft. It was great. Um, And it's really cool to have a perennial vegetable because perennial, explain what you were saying about the... Perennials are right. So in general, perennials are going to be much more nutritious for you. 
And that's obvious when you start to think about it. It has a root structure that's way bigger and way more established, and it can mine the dirt a whole lot better than an annual, which is, you know, goes from seedling to death, you know, inside of a few months, mm-hmm. and it's it's not going to be able to get the same amount out of the ground. But when they do nutritional studies, they find that, you know, the trees have the most nutrition in them, followed by perennial. Uh, herbaceous things followed by annuals mm-hmm. with a couple exceptions, but for mm-hmm. the most part, that's true. And well, it makes sense because it's getting, it's getting more from the, the ground, the dirt, right? The and, soil. Uh, asparagus has very high mineral counts in it. It's terrific for you right. and it tastes amazing. And then you do all the work one year and it just starts coming back for you. Right. I think we, we eat um, asparagus at Thanksgiving a lot, which I think is funny because it's really a spring plant. It's a great Easter Easter vegetable. Yeah, it's I an guess. Easter vegetable. I think we'll start harvesting it early in the spring, and then it'll you know we'll stop by the time we get to June, mm-hmm. and then we'll wait till next year. Yes, I'm so excited to have. Uh, we have a huge, huge row of it. How long would you say that is? It's probably fifty or sixty feet long. Right. Uh, row of, of asparagus. So I think that should be enough for us. And yeah. then we planted strawberries as a ground cover within that whole area. So. Yeah, so the asparagus grow up, they like shoot up, and then the strawberries are below. Right. So the strawberries are also perennial, but they produce fruit like immediately. Mm-hmm. Like if you buy strawberry plants from the store, they probably already have fruit on them mm-hmm. when you're buying it. And so we planted them and uh, they were just these little rootlet things that came in the mail and they just blew up immediately and the kids were out there picking strawberries there it's we got an ever bearing type and that just means they they produce a smaller amount all year long instead of a ton right away yeah there's two different what are they called the two different kinds of strawberries it's just ever bearing or normal you're thinking of indeterminate versus determinate that's a term i think mostly is for tomatoes okay okay so there are some that have big juicy strawberries that they come in the spring i guess right spring and then they're done but the kind we got just has smaller ones that aren't as big and juicy but we can we have them all this whole summer so every day yeah and they were still pretty big i mean yeah some of them were every bit as big as the strawberry you get in the store right. oh yeah definitely but every day the kids go out and we eat a couple of strawberries so yeah. that's been really fun i did not get very many <laughs> i know our kids go out every day and eat the strawberries yeah but yeah it's just it's so fun to have Things that you can just eat right off the vine in the garden. Right. So, so the far, the companion summer. planting experiment with asparagus and strawberries has gone really well. Mm-hmm. And I think companion planting can be very intimidating to a lot of people. So it's nice to just start with a, a couple things like that. Right, right. And we'll see how it does. So the other thing that's really easy to grow are cucumbers. They oh, were yeah. Our first, our first gardening thing that yeah, we did. Yeah, the cucumbers. I mean, they just shoot up and then want to get huge right away. Right. And you can, they do well just direct so too. Those right. ones do well just putting the seed in the ground. Right. It's the kind of plant I've, I've learned now where I get so excited for my first cucumber. I haven't had one in months. It's like, oh, I can't wait to eat my cucumber. And then like a month later, it's like, oh, no, no more, more cucumbers. We can't eat any more cucumbers. It produces so many. I, yeah. I just eat them for, you know, throw them to the chickens. Lunch and dinner every day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the t- our tomatoes, actually, surprisingly, they did fine. Like we ate fresh tomatoes all summer long. They're still producing tomatoes. They did. They did. They did fine. They weren't as amazing as we thought they were going to be, and we think we know why. Right. So we let the chickens Learning. in the garden last year in the kitchen garden. So we have a separate area which we call our kitchen garden. Mm-hmm. We try and keep it tidy and organized. Mm-hmm. And we let the chickens in there last year. And we just thought, oh, they'll go in there and they'll eat any weeds, anything that's left over. And they did that. They did a great job. And we were like, they'll fertilize it, which they did. The problem was they dug all of the wood chips deep into the dirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were too effective. So our method of that, that we do, and I think you've talked about this, Pete, we do a deep layer of mulch right. of wood chips that we have delivered from a tree from tree companies. And so picture like 12 feet. 12 feet, 12 inches. Well, in the kitchen garden, it's less than that. It's maybe like six inches deep. But what happens, and I didn't know this, what happens when the chickens mix it in? So the chickens mixed it in, and not just a little bit. Like, they mixed it several inches down. They were just going crazy over there for a month or two. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the wood chips, which is mostly carbon, got mixed into the soil, which is then going to try and the nitrogen in the soil is going to bind to that to try and break it down. And so it it robbed all of the nitrogen Mm -hmm. out of the soil. 
And we put a ton of fertilizer in there between the cows and the chickens, so that replaced a lot of it. But I think in general, it it kind of uh, it didn't help out the soil in there this year. Right. So we just learned that we're not going to let the chickens into the area where we have deep mulch because you want the mulch to sit on top of the soil, not right. be mixed into the yeah. soil. Wood chips is amazing if it's on top. Mm-hmm. So it helps hi- keep the, the ground hydrated and gets a lot of fungus in there, which is really good. And prevents weeds from germinating, which is really good, but you just can't get it into the soil or it's going to rob all the nitrogen. Right. So we'll probably just bring the fertilizer to there. We won't let the chickens in to fertilize it. Right. So in order to compensate for that, we'll have to put an extra amount of nitrogen in there next year. And eventually the wood chips will break down in a year or two and then it doesn't matter. Right. It'll be, it'll be resolved. But again, lesson learned. So, and we still got to eat plenty of tomatoes, so it was fine. They just weren't they didn't look as healthy as they probably should have. Right. So the biggest thing about tomatoes, though, is they it's a vine, and the vine goes crazy. So it eventually gets so big and disorganized that it, you just don't even want to be near it. So the biggest thing about tomatoes is to have something really nice for it to grow on. Mm-hmm. And then it, you can keep it organized, and it's a pleasure to be around instead of just this crazy thing. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we ended up using it's a, a steel wire that that uh, it's a roll of it we got from the big box store, and it's what you would use in concrete to keep the concrete. The big box store. Yeah, that's What's what that? they call like home stores, like oh. big box stores, because you I did not you come that. out with big boxes, I guess. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a big box store. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah, I'm so, sure they all. Know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's this roll of steel. It's five feet tall, and we cut uh, cylinders of it. And and just stuck those on the ground, and they've they've got big six inch openings, and mm-hmm. you can you can reach your hand through it to grab the. What tomatoes. is it called? It's called steel reinforcement or something. Yeah, it's steel reinforcement. And it wire. goes inside of a concrete wall. It would, yeah, you would you would put it in a concrete wall or or you know patio or whatever that you're making out of concrete, and it, it gives it sheer strength. I'm trying to describe this a little better. So it's in a circle shape. Right, it's a whole roll of it. It's a roll. So we would cut out sections <laughs> I don't know how of to that. Describe it. We should, how about we get a picture and we put it on okay. the show notes? Yeah, because that was the best thing. Because when you buy those little tomato cages in the store, I don't understand what those are for. Because you put your tomatoes in the tomato cages and they do well for like uh, like two weeks, and then as they grow, they just knock over the tomato cages. Yeah, I don't even know why they sell them. I don't understand it. So we did these huge, huge things, these big, tall steel things, and it just worked amazingly. It was right. perfect. And it's just steel. I mean, it's not galvanized or anything, so it rusts, but that ended up being nice. I mean, it it's really cool. thick, so it's going to last for years and years anyway, but it just gets this nice rust color that kind of disappears and you don't see it. Yeah. So it, that was our best thing was our tomato cages that you made. Yeah, huge Those winner. were awesome. So what else did really well? I'm looking at our list here. The, we talked about the tomatoes and the sweet potatoes. I mean, the potatoes and the sweet potatoes. Those are right. great. So potatoes and sweet potatoes... The big win there is that we planted them in 12 inches of mulch. So you dig out the mulch, you put the potato on top of the ground. Like I'm not even putting it in the dirt. I just put it on in between the wood chips and the dirt, and it's going to root itself into the ground. And all those wood chips on top uh, means that you never have to hill it. So most people, when they grow potatoes, have to hill the potatoes, which means the potato starts growing up towards the top and then you have to put more dirt over top of it. And mm. you just don't have to worry about any of that. The mm. wood chips stay on top. Uh, the potato grows up through that. And then, and then when it's time to harvest the potato, instead of having to dig out the dirt, you're just pulling back wood chips mm-hmm. and there's all these potatoes in there. Yes. We still have potatoes in our basement in a bag and they've, I made them in a stew um, the other day. They were yeah. really good. Yeah. There's a, uh, a documentary called Back to Eden, and it's very famous. Lots of people, you know, millions of people have watched it, and that talks all about using wood chips uh, to do your gardening with. Mm-hmm. And the potatoes is one of the really big wins you get out of that. It just it, it works so well with with deep wood chips. Right. Oh, and oh my goodness, our garlic, our garlic oh, yeah. was garlic amazing. Is fun. So garlic is kind of you plant it similar to how you would plant a potato, right? You just take the little garlic piece and put it in the ground. Right. So if you're like me, you saw garlic in the store your whole life and you thought that's what garlic was. Turns out that's one variety of garlic and it's not very good. Mm -hmm. It must be really good to grow in bulk and it must be good to to Mm -hmm. ship or something. But we we did our first garlic this year and it tastes so much better. Well, it's juicy. It's like this big, juicy 
bulb. Oh, yeah. it's so good. So, and so good. the cloves are huge. Oh, they're huge. So yeah. I'm used to also the garlic from the store and you're sitting there trying to like cut out these tiny little cloves and mm-hmm. be like, man, this is a pain in the butt. Right. And then you get the, the culinary garlics and they're so good. And there's these big, huge uh, cloves yes. that are a lot easier to, to process when you're making food. Oh, they taste so good. Yes. I want more. We, we wish that we did more of that. Cause once we had that, no other garlic compared, I don't think we did enough of it. So yeah, we're, we're going to do, do more a of that. ton of it. And here's the exciting thing. If you're excited about growing plants after this episode, the good news is you plant garlic in the fall. Mm -hmm. So you can order your garlic now. And we did that. We've got a bunch of it coming. And then in September, you put it in the ground and it kind of just grows very slowly all through the winter. Hold on, we have garlic coming? I did not know this. Oh, tons of it. Oh, I'm so excited. I did not know that. I ordered a lot of garlic. Good. I'm so glad. I love when you, we like to do things big because when you do things small, it's like, it's a great first step, but then you just wish you had more. So. Right. And we've also learned that so many things don't work. So I'm trying, I think six or seven different kinds mm-hmm. of garlic that are all really highly rated. And I want to find out which one grows the best on my property. Right. Exactly. So I have soil and I, you know, that's different from everyone else's and a climate and all of that. And it's just because it's highly rated doesn't mean it's going to work well here. Right. So I'm going to try seven different varieties and see what grows really well here. Right. And then I'll know, you know, the best kind of garlic uh, for my soil. And maybe some of them will taste better than others. Right. It's hard. You want to know right away what's best. So you read everything. But again, you got to just do it and see what works best on your land. Our fig trees are also looking great. I can't wait to have figs. Yeah. Our fig trees are looking really good. Our fruit trees are looking good too, but it's going to take, we'll probably have a lot of fruit, what, next year? That'll be our big fruit year? We'll start to get real harvest next year. Right. Well, tell them, so we had, tell them about the peaches at our old house. Right. So we planted a lot of fruit trees at our old house before we left that we were getting into gardening. That was one of the first things we did was plant trees. And then we left. And so I, the trees were just barely old enough uh, that I could still transplant them. So I transplanted everything but two peach trees. And we went back this year and they were covered in like these amazing peaches. Mm-hmm. And I ate one and it was, it wasn't just the best peach of my life. It was one of the best tastes of my life. It was life. such a good peach. I cannot wait till oh, we start so having them here. Good. It was just funny because we actually rent out our old house. So it was just funny to, you know, see this fruit tree that we planted right before we moved and just covered with peaches and then the tenants let us have some of the peaches yeah yeah they (laughs) look so good so i can't wait to get real fruit harvest even the trees that do produce fruit when they're that small it's usually you know smaller fruit and you got to be careful to not not let it produce so much that it stunts the tree so Mm -hmm. yeah that that's a process that takes a few years we have so many fruit trees it's crazy yeah but we haven't really gotten a ton of fruit from them yet so right. next year, but we have this year. theory that fruit trees produce fruit. So, <laughs> well, we saw that theory proven at the old house. That's true. So yeah, um, what else? Anything else that was really? I've got a lot great? more plants I could talk about, but I think we're, we went long in this one, so we'll just add them in in different episodes. Yeah. So start, even though it's only September, start dreaming of your garden. Um, make sure if you find a sunny spot because you really want a lot of sun for your garden and. I don't know. Yeah, and order your garlic. You just order your do garlic. that in the wood chips too. You get you get uh, ten inches of wood chips, and you just stick the garlic down in there at the bottom of it, and it'll grow all the way through. And don't be afraid to make mistakes. It's kind of um, very stressful at first, but just have fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that's it for now. That's it. Have a great day, everyone. Bye.